Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll discover the secrets to more power from two electrifying leading ladies. Please welcome to the show, Brandy Davis Handy, Chief Customer Officer, and Tanya Searcy, Senior Director of Public Relations for AES, an organization that is literally powering the future of work globally. Welcome to the show, Brandy and Tanya. Thank you, thanks so much for having us. Hi, Karen, thank you. Because we are talking about the future of work, I like to ask each of my guests, what was your first paying job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? My, uh, my first paying job, I was 15 and a half and just got my worker's permit and I worked at an ice cream shop in Indianapolis. And so I think the early lesson learned was you have to work really hard for a dollar. Uh, I would come home in the evenings and ice my wrist. Uh, the one thing I couldn't stand is when people ordered chocolate ice cream, that was the hardest to scoop. Um, but it, it was also a fun experience at 15 and a half and 16. Half and you 16. heard it here first, chocolate ice cream is the challenge for, well, I guess it's not a barista. Maybe there's a specific name if you scoop ice cream, but I think everyone's dying to know, did you get to give away free scoops of ice cream to your friends? I'm thinking that makes you popular as a teenager. Absolutely. It made me popular with my friends and more popular with my family. And it just so happens they were always at the mall during one of my shifts. <laughs> what about you, Tanya? So my first paying job, I was 16 and I worked my grandfather ran factory in Indianapolis. So I worked in the laboratory, um, but I worked the overnight shift. So I didn't get to see my friends a lot throughout the summer because their schedules were completely different than mine. Um, but it was kind of a cool experience. I worked a lot of hours because people, of course, are doing a lot of outdoor painting jobs during the summer. Um, so I would often work up to 60 hours per week. So it taught me really good work ethic. But I did also get to work with people from sort of all walks of life. As I was preparing for our conversation today, I was reminded of a TV show that was popular when I was a kid called The Electric Company. I don't know if you remember this. Now, I, I realize it actually wasn't about a power company. You would learn to read and write and these practical life skills. Something that was compelling to me about having both of you on the show is we don't often think of women necessarily having as much presence in the executive suite in organizations like public utilities. How did you find your way into this world of senior leadership in a public utility? Tanya, how about you? Um, so I worked with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra for nine years. And the woman that I worked with um, to make all of our sponsorships come to life with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra um, was getting ready to retire at a lovely young age of five. He said, you should update your resume and apply for my position. He said, you come up with really creative ideas to sort of 
get our message out about the, you know, the organization. And my thought, you know, <clears throat> I was like, am I qualified? And she said, well, you have a marketing, communication, sponsorships, and fundraising background. And she said, you're probably more qualified than I am. And I've had a really successful career here for 31 years. So um, I applied for the position and um, the now for six and a half years. Brandy, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, being in the utility and energy space um, is something that I never thought about. And so I spent a majority of my career focused on communications marketing. I've worked across a number um, of different sectors and have always thought of myself as more on the comms and strategy side, and that could translate to any organization. Um, but you know, what's interesting about AES and AES Indiana particularly, and I think a lot of us similar to Tanya have the same stories because they are such a huge, um, you know, they're, they're such a big part of the community and all of the markets that they serve. I knew a lot of people that worked at the company. So whether it was through volunteer work or board work and someone, I mean, similar to Tanya, someone reached out to me and said, hey, at the time it was Indianapolis Power and Light Company, they're hiring and I had a great conversation and then wound up in this really incredible inner, you know, industry at a time that it's going through transformational change. Um, and now I'm in a place where I can't imagine myself working in another industry because it's so fascinating. And even in my seven years of being a part of it, I remember seven years ago, looking around kind of the leadership area of the building and there was one woman. Um, and today, I mean, I find myself in meetings where the majority are women. And so it's, there, it's been not only a fascinating transformation in the industry, but what's happening in terms of those who are doing the work inside of our business. What strikes me is we're all in the middle of a power struggle right now to some degree. And the office seems to be at the center of that debate. And something that comes up consistently is this topic of sustainability, right? We see organizations putting it in their values. And within that, there's this trade-off debate of, is working at home more sustainable or coming to the office? And you're sitting at the intersection of this power struggle, this debate about the office and sustainability. I mean, are these mutually exclusive? Is it one or the other? How do we start to unwind this conversation a little? Yeah, it's the, you know, I think it's the conversation that all businesses are having right now. And, and I don't know that anyone has a clear solution. It's got to be what's right for your business and what's right for your people. And so, I mean, we've really taken the approach kind of, and I don't even know that we can say post pandemic, because I think we are still very much in pandemic mode. Um, but we've taken the approach of our people of, hey, we're really taking this a day, a week, a month at a time. And so throughout this process, we have maintained a very hybrid work environment. Um, we do, you know, we do know um, that, you know, some of our people have found that they work more effectively and efficiently from their home offices, and that's fine. And then we have another set of people that, you know, miss being in the office, they miss kind of those relationships and the collaboration that you have. And so we, you know, we've done something where we, we want to ensure that those who, you know, want and need to work at home have that ability. But we've also put together a framework where our people who want to see their coworkers again and want to come together and get that sense of collaboration, that they have that as well. Well, I was getting ready to say, because um, I'm getting ready to onboard a new employee to the team. And she actually just emailed me a little while ago and asked about 
work hours and you know how often we're in the office. I think the one the one thing that we have learned through this is that um, it takes flexibility to allow people the space to have balance. And um, so I think the fluidity and the flexibility that we've all sort of learned to um, have, but also offer to our teams, um, you know, because we come together a couple of days a week just for that community building within our team. But then sometimes, you know, if you have a lot going on, if you have a contractor coming to your house and it makes sense to work from home, um, or if you just need the quietness that your home provides, because, you know, sometimes people come into the office, everyone is so excited to see one another um, that it's sometimes not the most productive of environments that we found. But I think for us being able to be fluid and offer this sort of hybrid approach, um, we're also getting ready to open up floor for sort of hoteling space so that when our people are in the office, if they want to come to a floor and sort of be all together and feel that energy um, that you often get with more people, we're getting ready to offer that as well. What you're describing and the literal organization that you're in represents the challenge that many organizations are facing, which is you support and serve by definition of being a public utility, a range of stakeholders, right? Everything from businesses and wholesalers to residential people. And within that, we all have a variety of preferences and the pandemic forced a pattern interrupt, right? We've changed our habits, we've changed our behaviors. With that comes a changing set of expectations and you talked about whether it's onboarding the new employee or giving people choice in where and when they work. I mean, how do you think about categorizing this complex set of stakeholders you have, listening to their needs and then offering choices? Because I hear so many leaders say, well, I mean, I can't have a plan for every employee or every stakeholder. And Brandy, in your new role as chief customer officer, I think you're thinking about stakeholder engagement quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's similar to how you think about your customers. You know, all customers are diverse and how you meet their needs is in a really personalized way. And so I think as we think about the future of work and how we engage with our people, um, it's not, it's no longer kind of a one-stop shop. And so we've got different roles. And I mean, there are absolutely roles that are more, Kind of market facing whether you're sitting down and you're meeting with customers um you know we have because of the nature of what we do you know we still have people who are who are in our plants um we have 20 you know we need to be able to respond 24 7. you know our linemen are coming in you know literally rain you know shine snow um but there are others who feel like hey i can really do my job from anywhere and so i think the same way that we've thought over the years of how we continue to meet our customers' needs in different ways, we've got to start thinking about that as it relates to our people. Kind of taking the customer experience, mentality and mindset and approach into the employee experience, right? Thinking about this concept that what's good for customers tends to be what's good for employees. And Tanya, in your role, it's also about the stakeholders in the community. So now we add another dimension, take us into how you're thinking about community partnerships and relationships differently in your role. One of the, the things that's always been a high priority for us with formerly IPL, now AES Indiana, is that of helping our customers, right? Like we, the reason why we give back to our community um, is to make our 
to make Indianapolis a more viable, thriving, livable space for our customers. And basic needs has always played a huge part into that. And one of the things that we found during the pandemic was that was an even more critical need um, that some of our customers were facing. They were sick or furloughed or out of work. And um, so relationships that we've had longstanding partnerships with, such as Gleaner's Food Bank, we leaned really heavily into those. Um, we also put additional dollars into our own utility assistance program, Power of Change, um, because we wanted to just help our customers who were experiencing the most insecurities through a really scary time for all of us. Um, and so as we've as Brandy pointed out earlier, we can't even really say that we're we're sort of out of the pandemic, but as we're sort of transitioning back into, you know, the normalcy, I think, of of life. Um, a lot of those critical needs are still really necessary. And so how we've been able to lean into some of those partnerships in new ways to help our customers at the very core of where they need it most, that has not changed. Um, so we are remaining committed to that. Basic needs is an important concept. And I think about what would happen if we step back and applied that to everything from our customers to our own employees and their return to office basic needs. I mean, what are kind of the basic needs we need in the workplace and how important it would be to operate from that understanding. One of the challenges I often hear from organizations who put sustainability on their list of core values is that, you know, you can't make very much progress very fast because sustainability is expensive to implement. Is that, is that true? Sustainability is as much as an individual or an organization wants it to be. There are small things that we can all do day to day to become more sustainable. And just like there are small actions um, that businesses can take. And I mean, the great part of also, you know, working for an energy company is this is part of what we do. We're working with our, our customers, whether it's on the residential side or on the commercial side every day to help them with their sustainability objectives. Hybrid work. Employees want it, employers need it, and everyone has questions. When done right, facilitating flexible work can be a win-win for everyone. Happier employees, engaged teams, and better business outcomes. Robin is here to make the logistics easy. Our all-in-one workplace experience platform helps thousands of companies reimagine their approach to work. To learn more about how we make hybrid work work, visit robinpowered.com. Well, and to take that a step further, Brandy, it surprised me to discover how much your organization is investing to moving into more sustainable sources of energy. And many of our listeners are in organizations that are in a business model transformation, right? They're trying to cross over from a way that they've operated and made money right into a new business model. And I mean, when you think inside of your own organization, how do you assess how far, how fast to go in some of that crossover from the way you've always done things to the way you're trying to build the future? Yeah, you know, I, I can tell you one thing that I think has been really important for the approach specifically that AES Indiana has taken is that, you know, while while our customers and the greater community may be hearing more about those efforts today, it's been a long road. And so I would really encourage, you know, those who are setting forth on their sustainability objectives to think about the changes that they're making 
and not only how it impacts your people, but also the customers, those that you're serving. As a local utility, you know, we're our, the, the three main things that we're focused on is safety, reliability, and affordability. And affordability being really, really important, especially, you know, what we've seen in kind of the broader environment in the last, you know, two and a half years. We know, Tanya spoke about basic needs. Our customers are facing a lot. And so I, I can remember back in 2013 when I joined the organization. And then at that time, you know, from a, when you think about a generation portfolio standpoint, 99% of how we were generating electricity was, was coal-based. And that was in 2013. And so that is now less than 50% of our portfolio, but it didn't happen overnight. And while we were pushed by a number of other stakeholders to make a, you know, a change away from fossil fuels a little bit swifter, we also had to balance that with the impact of our organization. So getting our people ready for a different way of working. So when you've had someone that has, whether they've worked in a coal plant for 30 years, we want to ensure that as we, you know, transform as an organization, that we can bring our people along with that transformation and also understanding what it means from a financial standpoint to transition from whether it's coal or natural gas to wind or solar. And so there were very real financial impacts to our customers. So for us, you know, I, I think our right, our, our right mix has been, it's been a slow and steady process. And we focused on communicating and really bringing not just our customers, but our people along. So, no, I was just going to add on to that because I think, you know, to Brandy's point, but also assessing, um, assessing the needs of our customers here locally. And so, you know, in February 26th of 2021, we went through this, this big rebrand as a global company and being able to tell the story locally about the innovation and access that we have as part of a global innovation, you know, energy company um, has been a really exciting story to tell because one of the things that we want to do for our customers locally is be able to help as they transition toward their sustainability goals, let them know that yes, while we, while we are a utility that provides power, we are also an energy solutions company that can help them meet their objectives. And so, you know, taking it back even to community, um, you know, when we were still in the height of, you know, the pandemic and large scale events weren't happening, but Indianapolis had the opportunity to host March Madness all in one city in one bubble for the very first time. Um, and we were able to help the Indiana Sports Corp and the NCAA reach their sustainability goals by ensuring that 100% of the power utilized through for March Madness was provided through renewable energy. Um, and so that was a creative approach that we took um, that I think being a part of a global innovation company has just allowed us to just think of new and creative ways to help our customers meet their goals. There's so much goodness in what you shared. For our non-sports fan listeners, March Madness, right? The big basketball tournament. So for all intents and purposes, picture the biggest conference your industry offers, except this is just in sports. You gotta, you gotta have a lot of people together. And it's really a messaging opportunity that, that meets people where they are. And in any change, regardless of your organization, communication is key. Tanya, tell us more about how you think about bringing the public along with you on this journey of messaging, because some people get a wrong perception and change, right? We get afraid. We wonder about the implication, you know, is my power bill going up? 
You know, am I gonna have power outages back to your reliability point, Brandy? How do you think about messaging in a way that brings the people who are affected along with you on the journey? For me, it's about listening. Um, you know, I think you can't start to provide solutions based on your own assumptions. Um, you can't assume what a customer needs until they tell you. You can't assume what a business needs until you listen to them and they they tell you what their goals and objectives are. And we're that's what we strive to do with our customers in the community. It helps guide our decisions um, on the different things that we do to make Indianapolis vibrant and you know our partnerships we've leaned really heavily into our deia partnerships um you know because i think what we saw in june of 2020 was that we were at a critical place and this is what the country our city the world needs um so we've helped you know, I think forge beautiful partnerships as a result of that. Um, you know, we have Gang Gang Butter coming in September, and that was born specifically out of the demonstrations and the, the civil unrest that we saw in June of 2020. And those partnerships, I don't feel can happen organically unless you listen. You referenced a specific community event that's about bringing together artists and people in the community and companies to really think differently about what community means. And, you know, organizations offer some of these types of engagement opportunities around, you know, employee groups. We see all kinds of different partnerships emerging because of the pandemic, because of business model shifts. For every organization, every listener listening right now, what are some other ways besides doing deep listening that people can stimulate and find these new kinds of partnerships that lead to something we all want, which is creating community? I think more often than not, it's about connecting. So you have the listening component, yes, but then there's also the connecting. And so, you know, a lot of times I think what's what's so exciting for me is to be able to connect with the different organizations that we have, you know, in the community and we're getting ready to launch some new partnerships in our Ohio market as well. Um, but a lot of times you hear about things that are happening at a grassroots level and then you're able to make certain connections for those organizations. Um, and so I think that's the secret sauce a lot of times that, um, you know, brings things to fruition. And um, I think that's, that's all part of like connecting the community journey, right? One of the best leadership coaches I ever had said you should always speak into the room, the reality of what's happening. And I would say this interview is going to the dog. So we're just going to, you know, take a health pause. Tanya, tell us about that office companion that we hear because everybody else hears it too. So who's your, your office mate? Um, so anyway, so the companion in my household is a two and a half year old golden doodle named Roxy that I got the first week of April of 2020. Um, so she is what we're all referring to as a COVID puppy. Um, so she does not necessarily know that the world exists outside of her needs. Um, so we just, this is Roxy's house. I just live in it and I pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Brandy, tell us about building this community mentality. How do we think about partnerships differently? 
Yeah, well, you actually mentioned a little while ago, Karen, something that I think is really important as we think about how we're, you know, how we're working differently into the future. So you mentioned employee resource groups. And so I, I feel like across the board, I have participated in employee resource groups for years at different organizations. But I feel that in, and I don't think that this is true, just true for AES, because I have you know, heard and seen stories from other organizations where these ERGs really showed up in a big way during this pandemic. And so as I think even how we're engaging today at AES and the opportunities where that we have to actually to, to actually bring our people back into the office and come together, everything has been centered around our ERGs. And so like I serve as the executive sponsor for our Black Professionals Network. Um, and it's typically our leadership in that group that, you know, thinking back to Black History Month, we were working on programming. They said, hey, we want to be in person or hey, we want volunteer opportunities. I was working closely with Tanya and finding organizations in Dayton and Indianapolis that we could connect our Black Professionals Network to. We're seeing that across the board. And so as we think about kind of the new way of working, even if for those who may be working remotely today, some of the, you know, the biggest opportunities that I've seen in the last year of our people coming together is when our ERGs have come together and they're connecting with our partners out in the community. Pride Month is a great example. We had a great representation of our people that showed up in downtown Indianapolis and were there celebrating, many of which are seeing each other right now daily, you know, in the way that we're talking right now. Um, so I, it's just been, I think, really awesome to, I think I, we've always known the values, uh, the value of employee resource groups, but I think that they have shown up in an even bigger way than any of us anticipated and what we've been through in the last two and a half years. Well, and adding on to that, Brandy, because you are absolutely correct, it's been pretty remarkable to sort of watch, um, watch these groups grow and, and deeply connect and engage people. Um, and so we've actually been leaning from a community standpoint, we've been leaning really heavily on our ERG groups for AES um, to help develop programming. So we have what we're what we call Team Tuesdays. And so we are really encouraging a lot of our people to come all together, definitely on Tuesdays. And what we've been doing is offering programming and partnership with specific ERGs. So last week we had um, Horizon House, which is a local um, homeless support organization in Indianapolis. They came in, they gave a presentation, and then the EPN group, our Emerging Professionals Networking Group, they then sponsored um, a volunteer activity where people packed snack bags for our community's homeless. Um, we've done programming with our Black Professionals Network Group for volunteer activities. Um, we were heavily engaged with Juneteenth, um, and so they've been a remarkable resource for us just to engage our people um, and find ways to bring to bring them all together seeking impact through collaboration is is powerful yeah. and I want to bring us back before we hop into a fun segment of the show into the topic we started with about sustainability where certainly moving from intention to impact requires collaboration and community I was reading recently about a new study that came out from MIT and they highlighted what they called the knowing doing gap. Like we all kind of know that being more sustainable is a good idea, but how are we following through? There were some statistics I'd love to get your reaction to. Their study found 90% of executives find sustainability to be important. Only 60% of organizations incorporate sustainability in their strategy and merely 25% 
have sustainability incorporated into their business model what advice would you give as a next best step that means probably 75 percent of people listening are in an organization right that falls in that category of great intention a long way to impact what are some simple steps leaders can take to at least get started moving from intention to impact on the sustainability journey brandy yeah i mean it's one of those things where it may in the beginning feel daunting i think like what most organizations have found is if there is something that you really want to move forward um, in an intentional way, then you need to make sure that you wrap the resources around it. And so I have seen that the organizations that have the greatest success have someone whose their day job is focused on what is going to be our sustainability plan and how can we make sure that we are being as intentional as possible for this organization. And the other piece is just is partner. And so we're not alone right now. I have not heard of an organization that is not in some way focused on what sustainability looks like for them. So I would say we've got to lean in, uh, you know, to our friends and our peers who are doing the same work. Um, also, you know, reaching out to those who do this work. And so, you know, whether that is an AES or someone else in that space, I mean, there are partners out there uh, that can absolutely help and guide those who are who are going down this journey. And so, um, you know, what's interesting from those statistics that you read, Karen, is as I think about, I've got two kids who are 13 um, and nine. And so sustainability, they keep it top of mind for me because that is a focus now at a young age in school. And so, you know, I mean, they're coming in the house saying, hey, like, you know, why are these, you know, why are these lights on? Why are you doing this? They were the ones that pushed me towards getting an electric vehicle. And so it's really interesting uh, I think it's kind of fascinating to see where we're, where we're going to be, maybe not even 20 years from now, 10 years from now, um, because there is a whole other generation uh, that is looking at this in a different way and is saying, these are actually really simple and easy things that we can do, but we need to make it happen and we need to all come together and make it happen. That same study cited, <laughs> interestingly enough, 67% of executives see sustainability as an area where collaboration is necessary to succeed underscoring the point that you made there. Well, no conversation about the workplace would be complete without a little water cooler chat. This is often cited, right, as what people miss in the office. So pretend that we are at a highly sustainable water cooler and we're gonna have a spontaneous chat. I'm going to ask five questions and just share what comes to mind for you. And Brandy, we'll start with you each time. And then Tanya, these are just designed to be kind of quick and fun. So we'll start with Brandy. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A reporter. Ooh, <laughs> asking those questions with customer listening. I think you became that. What about you, Tanya? I wanted to be a dancer. Wow. Okay. I know. I, I, I'm just singing like Tiny Dancer now, Elton John in my head. Okay, Brandy, <laughs> what is your favorite guilty pleasure office snack? Uh, I love Jolly Ranchers and I am always up for a visit to Starbucks. <laughs> nice. Do you have a signature drink there? Um, I love peppermint mocha, even in the summertime. And admittedly, I always order it extra hot, even if it's 100 degrees outside. It has to be extra hot. Are you feeling hot, hot, hot? Okay, how about you, Tanya? Favorite guilty Star pleasure office snack? Favorite guilty pleasure office snack. Again, it's gotta be Starbucks. 
Um, I do not have a specific drink that I go with. I'm sort of one of those people who's more about the, the mood and the moment. Um, and so my drinks range from an ice caramel macchiato to a hot venti blonde coffee. Um, but yeah, Starbucks is, Starbucks is a necessity. Brandy, what is the most creative excuse you've ever heard for someone missing a meeting? Oh, well, I mean, lately it's been, you know, Wi-Fi issues or, you know, there's been, yeah, I, I, you know what? I don't know. Like I luckily, you know, our teams have stayed pretty engaged recently, but um, I feel like I heard more excuses in the last few years because it's easier to power down and, you know, it's not like you're going to pass someone in the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tanya? Most so I wouldn't even call for missing a meeting. I wouldn't even call this an, an excuse. I would call it a, a reason, um, creative or not. But I think we've seen this probably bubble up to the forefront. But I have a really open line of communication and transparent, or at least I try to. I strive to with my team. Um, and recently, one of them said, "I just need to walk away because I need a I need a mental wellness break." Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that actually. One of the organizations I worked with launched a campaign called Not Myself Today for the exact purpose of giving employees the opportunity to share in a safe way that they were kind of off and they needed a little bit of space without needing to go into lots of details that could be very personal or maybe involve situations they didn't want to disclose to their employer. And that phrase stood out to me over time, just that not myself today, being able to send a signal uh, that ideally your your leader would respond to uh, in a sympathetic and compassionate way. Brandy, what do you keep on your desk that inspires you? Um, I have the word dream uh, in my home office and my in my office in uh, the AES building, and so I love that word because I think that you know it it it, it takes me back to the place of anything's possible. So depending on what are the challenges of your day, what you're facing, there is a solution and it's how you get there. Um, but you know, I just, the word in and of itself is really inspirational to me. So I have written on a post-it on my, right in front of me, as a matter of fact, right now, um, just sort of something to kind of keep me grounded, I think at times. Um, and it's on the post-it, it says, a thought is just a thought, a feeling is just a feeling, a sensation is just a sensation. And it's just, for me, it's more just about keeping like, keeping things like calm and balanced and grounded. We all need to write those words down and put them in our offices too. Brandy, who are you most grateful to for investing in your career? Who do you give career credit to? Oh, wow. It's, um, it's a lot of people. It's absolutely not one. I feel like I've been fortunate to have some great mentors. I mean, I can think of every place that I've worked where there was at least one person that I felt like went above and beyond and in investing in me. Um, and so absolutely, like when it, I think mentorship is the most important thing as it relates to, you know, moving your career forward. But I also believe in having several different mentors for different aspects of what you're focused on. And, you know, and there is power in having that diversity of thought as it relates to mentorship as well. Tanya, who are you most grateful to for investing in your career? So my answer is relatively similar to Brandy's. I can think of, you know, when I was 
when I was in the running for this position, um, I actually sent a note to one of my very first bosses right out of college. Um, I was, you know, a 21 year old who was starting, you know, starting her, her journey on her career path. And um, this individual was a publisher of a, of a local news weekly and took sort of a shot on a, on a 21 year old and gave her an opportunity and unlocked her love of a lot of things and gave me a lot of experiences in our community and with nonprofits and just civic leadership and civic duty. Um, and so when I was in the running for this position, I sent him a thank you note and just said, thank you for setting me on my path. Um, because I think you can have a lot of mentors in a lot of different places. Um, but I think sometimes recognizing them and like taking a moment to sort of sit in the humility that you, you don't get to where you are simply on your own. Um, it takes a lot of people along a lot of ways. I would even credit, credit Brandy. I mean, she's been a great mentor and, you know, friend and leader for me. Um, and so, you know, this is me 20 something years into my professional career. So I can think back to my first job and my most current job. As we bring our conversation to a close, I want to thank both of you for helping us look in the direction of sustainability and community. And when you think about bringing sustainability into your own organization, start with an understanding of the basic needs of the people you serve. That requires deep listening and curiosity. And I was thinking back to your comment, Brandy, about ensuring safety, accessibility, and reliability. And I thought, what would happen if we used just those three principles as we thought about the future of our workplaces and our workforces? Thank you once again to Brandy Davis-Handy and Tanya Searcy of AES for joining us today on the Success From Anywhere show to look in the direction of more power and sustainability. And as a reminder, success is not a destination. Success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time.